0: Hello,
1: everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson from High Point Church and our guest, Christina Sekatowski, who I keep wanting to call Christina Flaherty, but that was a long time ago that you got married, so I don't know why I want to do that. Um, so, Christina. Before we start into this podcast, you want to just tell people who you are, what you do. And you've been on this podcast before, I think, with Dating Part 3, right?
0: Yeah. Um. I'm Christina. Thanks for having me on, Andy and Nick. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom this year. I was a music teacher for eight years. Um, do you want me to... Why I'm on this podcast about singleness, even though I'm married, do you want me to address that?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was... Yeah.
0: Um. I... I was single and not wanting to be single for all of my 20s and I um I don't wear that as like a badge of a badge like good job there are people who were single are single much longer than me um and I am married now but the Lord did a lot of cool things in my heart in that time and so Andy just asked me to share some of them so here I am
1: Yeah. And so, right. Yeah. So the whole premise of this podcast is going to kind of be talking about, um, women in singleness and kind of prolonged or involuntary singleness. So there's a lot of women in the church who are single and they're getting older and they're kind of questioning. I mean, I've had some questions from some people who listen about this and they're like, can you do a a podcast on this topic? And we just haven't gotten to, to it till now. So that's kind of the premise of this whole entire, um, podcast and it's kind of weird because Nick and myself are men and and that's why we have Christina on. But I I wanted to have somebody on who wasn't like still single, which that might sound bad, but I think that you've gone through it and you've come out and there's probably a lot that you've learned through it and looking back. So anyways, with that all being said, um we can kinda jump right into it. Um because we're this also kinda goes with our biblical anthropology series, kind of like a bonus episode with um We talk a lot about um, what it means to be a man and a female and those and so um with with all that being said let's just start with christina i know you kind of just gave a a a little brief um overview of you being a single woman for i mean up until how old 28 27 29 29, right and so do you want to kind of go a little bit more in depth into like what were some of the the struggles that you were having um, about yourself when you were feeling about yourself and about the church in that time period? So, where, was there anger towards the church, towards men in the church? Was there anger towards yourself? Um, sure. And kind of just go into that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And cut me off if I go too long. But yeah. Um. So, like in high school. I already was like, I want to get married, have a family. I think I'll, I think I'll plan to get married at 22 and have all my kids by the time I'm 30. Why? Because that's what my mom did, and that makes sense to me. Um, but but I knew it was like godly. This is quote unquote godly to not date in high school. And frankly, I think I was just too afraid. I was too afraid to be that vulnerable with anyone. So I did not date in high school, had plenty of crushes, people crushed on me, but I was like, nope, not doing it. Um, and then in college, um, uh, in college I was, I was like, okay, I'm definitely looking around. No, I had a few crushes. People had crushes on me. People asked me out. I said no, Um, just because it didn't feel right. Um, But I was like, in college, I was like, you know what, Lord, I give you my heart. I'm, I'm going to be single for you. Like, no problem. It's hard to be single, but no problem. I'll get married later. I can live my college years for the Lord. Uh, but then, I mean, if you don't date in college, you're not going to get married right after college because you haven't dated anybody. Um, and so, um, I did finally start a serious relationship after college for about six months just because he was a really great godly guy. He was a good friend. Might as well try it. I didn't really like him like that. And so it didn't, I ended it after six months. Um, And it was confusing uh, and I was like, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? Why am I even getting a degree? I know I want to get married and have kids and be a mom. Um, but it turned out I had a decade to do industrious work and master something. And it was really great. I had a degree and could do some, like become an expert at something. Um, so go to school. It's good. Um, and then my post college years, while I was teaching and wishing I was married, um, I think the biggest thing for, yes, there was anger. The anger was mostly though like the state of the state of the world and people. It, it, it didn't really have to do necessarily with my singleness, except my singleness probably put me in kind of a darker mindset. I was just less, Healthy. Um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think my heart was just getting more and more sick. And I can talk about that later about like how to avoid that. Um, but, um, I did have anger. I mostly had disappointment and like just being resigned to my lot in life and trying to hold on to hope that there is someone out there maybe that is marriageable for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think one of the things, and um, Christian, you might want to comment on this, is that one of the differences between being a Christian, being single and being married is that when you get married because you believe it's a lifelong covenant, you have eliminated an enormous amount of potentiality and you are in one lane now, Hmm. right? You are married to that person. You're loving them. That's all there is to it. When you're single, you exist in the realm of a lot of potentiality because like you could get married, you could not, you don't know who it'll be, who could be that person. Maybe they won't, maybe I'll be single. Maybe I'll get married someday. Who knows? I mean, and so like, every, like all these areas in the realm of romance and companionship are all within this, the realm of potentiality rather than actuality. Mm-hmm. And so you live a more amb- ambiguous life mm-hmm. because it's the way, it's this way right now, but it could change tomorrow. And you live in that ambiguity that could change at any moment all the time. Like, is it like, do you notice now that you've been married for a little bit that you're kind of like, oh yeah, there's like this, there's like this instability, not like I'm a single person, therefore I'm unstable, but there's like the life I'm living in, like the state of being single has a certain kind of like, well, it could change at any moment instability to it that messes with you or like affects your mind differently than once you get married and you're like, I'm with this person.
0: Yes, I agree. I think that the biggest effect that had on me, um, is it was wearying and I was tired and my soul got like more and more tired. Um, there was nowhere to rest. Um, and you just have to choose things to commit to. You have to choose to live with people, choose to be in community, choose to like serve in this area, but it's not like what you really want to be doing. And so, I mean, even with teaching music, there was only so much I wanted to give because I didn't want to give my whole life to it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a valid thing to give your whole life to, but I didn't want to, because I wanted to save some of me. I wanted, I wanted to be able to leave and do marriage. Um, so it was very exhausting. You have
2: to maintain a certain amount of availability to meet somebody, right? Like, like, isn't there a certain thing you have to add into your lifestyle where you have to like not give all of yourself to finding somebody, Mm -hmm. but giving like a certain portion to making yourself available to meet somebody.
0: Yes. One of the, one of the biggest differences I noticed once I was married to John is going to social events. And it was like a relief to not have to like look around and be like, okay, who's here? Like how do, how, how can I be serving the Lord, but also available? Um, It it was exhausting. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, I want I think one of the things that Christians struggle with is we sometimes struggle with the word natural, that like there's a natural, like what you're made for, like your teleology, like your purpose, how God created you. And then there's natural, like anything that is found in nature is natural, quote, natural, right? Mm -hmm. And there's like, and Christians are usually supposed to be using the first definition, but the world around us is usually using the second definition, Mm -hmm. right? And so for Christians, we recognize that there's, that we are, what is natural for us is actually not to be single that long. Huh. That like the baseline is Genesis 2, not First Corinthians 7. It's that it's not good for a man to be alone. It's also not good for a woman to be alone. And that f- normatively, this won't be for everybody, but normatively, we should be looking for an adequate person to marry to both provide spousal companionship to and to receive as a spouse and companion and into that relationship to receive life that we can pass on to people as a gift right that is children and that that is the that's normative that means not 100% of people are going to experience that or do it but that's what like we're supposed to have a default to that general direction as as human beings not even as christians but just as human beings and then part of the difficulty with involuntary singleness or long-term singleness is you aren't on that plan like you, you're doing it with involuntary singleness, you've embraced it. You're pointing your heart in that direction and your mind in that direction. You're trying to live in that direction, but it's not happening. And that, I, that I think is, is in some ways more confusing than either getting married or saying, I'm going to be single. Yeah. Cause I know some Christians that are like, look, I just don't, I think I have the gift to be single. I think there's advantages to it. I think I'm going to be single. And if somebody pops up and I change my mind, fine. But my default is single. And I think the, the, the band that you were in was, no, I want to get married. I want that normative lifestyle. I think it is profoundly human. I have to find an adequate person to marry someone I'd rather be married to than not married to. And that just didn't happen right away.
1: Well, can I ask a question? Because I, th- I, I, I think it's, I, I agree. And I think w- what we find and what we kind of, what I see happens to people who are single is there's all this talk about like hey i'm single and like i'm in this season of singleness which i think is like a corny little saying that everybody says but i'm in the season of singleness and like i'm gonna give my life to the lord and and there's a dynamic like you're saying nick that it's like yeah you got to give your life to the lord but then there's people who are also like open they're they're open to like I'm also like open to getting into a relationship and getting married too. And so there's some sort of weird dynamic that's like, okay, how much emphasis should you put on? I'm, I'm single and that's how it is. And, um, (laughs) I'm single and that's how it is. And I need to just focus on my relationship with God. And if God brings a, a woman or a man to me, then I will get involved in a relationship. And compared to I am single and I want to be married and I'm going all out because I feel like I see people in the, in the latter, um, area where they're like, I'm single. I don't like being single and I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to these events. I'm going to go to these young adult things all only to find a spouse. And I think it's, ex- I think in my opinion, it's extremely undesirable. And I think that it's very obvious when somebody's total mindset and focus is on finding a husband or a wife and i don't and it's compared to like if you're single shouldn't you just accept that god's made you single i, I guess that's just my question either of you can answer that but
2: yeah I, I i Christy tell me if you agree with this but like i i would say i wouldn't put it that way because it feels a like a false dichotomy to me because i think i think that if you are interested in if you want to be married the, that, that is an intentional endeavor Right. For, especially like after college, like, like when you're in high school and college, like you're crammed together with all these single people. Right. And so you're, you're just bouncing around like a, like this, like free, like Adam, like just bouncing around. And so you're just, you're going to meet a lot of single people. Once you get your degree and you go out into the adult world, you enter an intergenerational church an intergenerational workplace. And unless you're, you're working at like a magnet company for really young single people. You're not going to bump into a lot of people. And then a lot of the people that you're going to bump into aren't Christians. And part of that worldview, even if they are Christians, is often that they're not interested in finding somebody until they're in their 30s. Partly because of the reception of the worldly doctrine of promiscuity, that you can have sex with whoever you're just dating or with. Mm-hmm. And that you're not obligated to covenantally bond yourself in your play around years, which is your 20s.
1: Let me clarify, and then Christina, you can respond to this. I think what what I mean what I mean is it seems to me like there's a lot of single people that are more focused on getting married than they are on their relationship with God and because they're not focused on their relationship with God they're not somebody who a godly man or woman would desire to marry and if you if you primarily focus on marriage and finding somebody to marry you I think you just naturally become less desirable because you're not focusing on a relationship with God right And I mean, Christina, I think there's two definitions of the
2: word focus here, right? One is it has your attention and you're paying attention. And one is it takes up all your mental
1: space. I think number two is happening. Right. I think you mean number two. Yeah. yeah, And I
2: don't want women or men to think that you mean number one. Yeah. yeah, Because I think if you want to get married, you should be paying attention. Yeah. yeah. And putting yourselves in places where you can find an adequate person to marry. Right. But I don't think it should take up all your headspace. And I think sometimes right. for women, particularly who want to embrace their fertility within marriage, like get married and have children and be a mm-hmm. good mother and wife, that the desire for that can take up a lot of your mental space.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Christina, where'd you find yourself in those two um, definitions of focus?
0: Um, uh, I think I experienced probably all of all of the above at different times, Um it, it I know it is, feels like a corny see, saying, like your season of singleness, but I, I don't think, I think it is, I think we should redeem the saying and not, um, not cast judgment quickly on single people. Um, it's really hard. And I think it's great to be in a season where you're like, I'm not going to focus on getting married. I'm going to focus on my relationship with the Lord. I definitely had that season. It was like, and then if the Lord brings me someone awesome, and that's great. I think that's a great mindset. I don't think it works for everyone forever. And I don't think the Lord has everybody in that mindset forever. And there's sometimes when it shifts to... To well, what Andy said of like you're hyper focused even more than your relationship on God, and then single people have to deal with that idolatry, and we have to repent. And like, but it's really hard, especially like Nick said for females, to not have your mental space completely filled up with that. Um, and and it is like. It is humiliating and it is like pathetic and like it feels all those things. Um, And like we need the grace of God and a grace filled community, I think, to help us through it. To and then to the what Nick said, the second way of being focused on you have to be more intentional. And especially as a female, if you want to, you know, have kids, there's only there's only such a window for that to happen. So you have right. to mm-hmm. be more intentional about it. But Andy, I agree. I mean, we've got to be, we become more attractive when we are seeking God and building godly character. Um, yeah, it's hard. All those, all versions of it is are hard though, in my opinion. Yeah
2: One, one of the ways that I have said this in the past, when I talked to younger women all the way down to high school age is, that the bib- one of the biblical metaphors for this is in the book of Ruth. Like there's like Boaz is the sort of like godly man that Ruth ends up marrying and he notices her because she's very godly. Yeah. I and think. like there's all kinds of other young men around she could have run after if mm-hmm. she would have been without substance enough to do so. Right. But she was so godly herself that not only did she not run around with with guys that she should run around with. She was noticed by the guy mm-hmm. that was really godly. And so I I always, what I used to tell you women is, look, if you want a Boaz, you need to be a Ruth. That's what what this comes down to. Like, don't say, oh, I wish I had a Boaz, right? Like a godly guy who's really interested in me. But like, you have to become the kind of woman that a person like that's looking for. And that's true for guys too, obviously, Mm -hmm.
0: right? Right. And I just want to clarify that just because you're not finding a Boaz doesn't mean you aren't a Ruth or like are on a path to be like Ruth. Um, frankly you might be waiting for your Boaz to become a Boaz. (laughs) Um, if if I had met John, probably any earlier, I don't think I would have married him and may have written him off. Um, And so the timing has to be right. And who Mm -hmm. knows why we're waiting. Sometimes your mentors or your friends can tell you why you personally are waiting. There could be something maybe a little more obvious, um, but sometimes there's not.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, then I I think it'd be helpful because this morning I was looking at the Analytics and statistics for this podcast, and eighty five percent of our listeners on Spotify are women from the ages of eighteen to thirty five so there's gotta like i this is like the perfect podcast for us so um and I want to talk about that, yeah, kind of like what we were just saying about growing in godliness and and in character the, the I guess the next natural question is like when you look at the Bible and you see how God talks about femininity and growing in godliness, a lot of it is tied to being a wife or being a mother. And it would be very confusing as a single female to look at the Bible and be like, okay, well, I want to grow in character so that somebody wants to marry me. But all this is talking about, I'm going to be saved through childbirth. And like, I'm not, I can't go have a kid right now because I would do the opposite. So how can these single women be focused on godliness and read the scriptures and? Kind of pull out of the scriptures something that isn't tied directly to marriage and um, having children? And either of you can answer that. Christian, I'll give you a
2: minute to gather your thoughts and make a couple comments here. One, I think it's really important to recognize that when Genesis 1 says that male and female were created in God's image, the point there is not that a man and a woman together in marriage image God, that's not the point. The point is that the man individually by himself bears the image of God and the woman individually by herself bears the image of God. Every human being bears the image of God. So a woman who is not married is the image and likeness of God in creation and doing things that God does that is taking dominion in creation, right? And so everything related to taking dominion is before her to do, and she can do it like God does in his image and likeness. And so there's there are piles and piles and piles of goods that God has made her to do that she can do right now, right? Mm-hmm. Then in the midst of that, as she goes along, it's not good for man or woman to be alone. Mm-hmm. And if she finds an adequate person to marry, she can marry them. And then there are ways in which that relationship additionally demonstrates the relationship of God to his people. But that's different than bearing the image of God. Mm-hmm. and taking dominion and creation, which she is doing.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. So, Christina, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. There's a lot I could say, so I'm going right. to dive in and feel free to direct this how you want, Andy or Nick. Cool. Um, I think what one of the biggest things that... I think is important to do is to foster unoffended love for Jesus. And what I mean by that is when you have a desire so close to your heart, because it's like, you feel like it's what you were made to do. Um, when it feels like it's thwarted or delayed, um, offense can come into our heart, uh, even if we don't notice it. And it can come, it can look like a lot of different things. Um, but in instead of being offended, um, I, it was helpful for me to think of Mary Bethany who poured out the oil on Jesus, the expensive oil. And, you know, they're like, why this waste? And I would often say to Jesus, Jesus, I will waste my beauty on you because like, these are my best years, my (laughs) twenties, um, I felt like I was alive and beautiful and had a lot to offer. And, you know, you, you peak and, and it doesn't in ways, but I was like, Lord, I will give this to you as an offering. It was really important for me to remind myself of like the bigger narrative of the kingdom of God, um, to like, even read biographies, uh, from people in other eras, from other places around the world, um, to read books about heaven, to to be thinking bigger than my own life. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, it would get too sad. Um, and I had a great life. And I did have to like, talk to my soul a lot to remind myself how grateful I was, how many good things were happening. Um, but I wanted to be unoffended with Jesus. And like, I wanted this to count if not here, if I wasn't like producing children or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I want there to be rewards in heaven. I want to have like a, a tender heart towards Jesus. And I think. Um, But, and then just in the meantime, you have all this extra time because you don't have a husband and children to care for. You can do things like pursue inner healing, like find out what your issues are and learn about them, deal with them, journal about them, get prayer, do counseling, um, work on your habits, like learn how to sleep, eat and exercise in a way that can sustain you so that you can be doing the work of God, even when you're 60, 70, 80, and 90 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. So building habits, building community, spiritual disciplines, um, and then we have more specific things uh, on the handout that maybe we'll go through. But the biggest one for me was being unoffended with Jesus and loving him through it and giving this hard hard part of my life to him as an offering and like writing down my expectations and realizing how disappointed I was. And then being like, but Lord, I give this to you as an offering, please accept my offering. I love you. I worship you. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think those are all great. Cause I think, I think about, I mean, be like, I, I can guess that there's a lot of anger t- that can be directed towards Jesus and like, Hey, why am I not married? Why am I single? Um, And what we have down here is that there's other relationships that you can also invest into. Like the only thing, it's not like the only thing that we're doing from ages 18 on is just trying to to get married and we have family and we have friends. And so how important is it to invest into your family and um, relationships and your friendships um, compared to, you know, kind of being angry and, trying to find a husband or a wife or, you know what I mean? So yeah. w- w- how can we invest into those relationships in healthy yeah, I, ways?
2: Before, okay. Before you jump into that, I just yeah. want to add to this thing relative to what Christina said about anger. I think this is particularly true for young Christian women who want to be married because in the United States, at least there, for a long time, there has been a um, an inequality in the numbers of males and females available in churches and, uh. And um, because the church has not been as successful in reaching men as women, for a number of reasons we have talked about in earlier podcasts and probably we'll talk about again, um, women have a particular opportunity for offense Hmm. because there just aren't as many men as Christian men as women. Hmm. And yet scripture teaches that we're supposed to marry believers if we're believers. And so that can create like an an unhealthy competition between Christian women and like in laziness among Christian men, because they have more options. And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of like negative dynamics that come in there that I mm-hmm. think can additionally poison single women's hearts as they're trying to like- like. The, um, can I say this? the
1: biggest, I mean, the biggest one that I've seen that has gotten on my nerves, we need to do a podcast on this is gossip. It's unbelievable. Like the women in the church, even especially at High Point, I'm just gonna say this, have the under 24 are like gossip machines. Mm-hmm. And it is out of control, which I was going to mention this to you on a different time, Nick. But
2: when problem. it comes to the Christian doctrine of Eagle tongue, detraction is supposed to be as bad as calumny or slander. And so pointing out high point as one of those is historically within the Christian tradition an act of gossip. So uh, how is Andy it? repents of that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, uh, but
2: we want like it is true that like it's very easy to say true things that are detractive to people that were in loving communion <laughs> within the body of Christ. And like that's true for single women, that's true for people who are annoyed at them, that's true for everybody in the body of Christ. But I, I think that that is one of the things that is a temptation. Like you get frustrated, especially if you're in competitive relationship with other women. One of the ways in which women sometimes are more tend to be affected by that stress more is to give into talking detractionally, or even falling into calumny or saying false things about other people. Um. You know, I mean, every Mean Girls movie is based on this <laughs> this female phenomenon, right? But it, but it finds its way in the church because it's it's. I mean, when James said no one can tame the tongue, he was talking about both sexes, of course. Yeah. So certainly not
1: just women. So what do we do about that? I mean, obviously, yeah. I guess maybe I shouldn't have said high point, but I I, I guess probably an issue that goes across all churches everywhere. Yeah, I don't know it's- how many
2: other churches you've been strongly embedded in, but I, I think ev- I think everybody struggles with that, whenever anybody feels left out or somebody is getting ahead of them, whenever they experience what they consider to be an immodesty, right? Immodesty Mm -hmm. is when somebody gets ahead for reasons other than they should be getting ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That people resent that Mm -hmm. and they tend to want to say they resent it Mm -hmm. to others because they want to pull that person back down. Right. And that's very, very natural in the second definition. It's found in nature a lot um, but it's also sin, right? It's mm-hmm. also it's it's also a kind of an ungodliness because you're harming other people and mm-hmm. treating people in a way that isn't consistent with the image of God that they bear. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: is it safe to say that it is more common in women?
2: I think it is. But again, this is distributional, not binary. It's not like women do it and men yeah, don't. Yeah, it's like, yes, I right. think because of the particular experience of being women, being communicative, being closely relational, being in smaller, closer knit pods of people, men tend to be more diffuse in their relationships than women. Sure. And so, be- because of the way of being embedded as a woman yeah. in femininity, I think you're, that presents itself more. And so people are more prone to it. I don't think mm-hmm. it's because like women are just more prone to gossip no. in themselves. But I think part of it, being embodied and embedded as a woman in female mm-hmm. culture, I think that that tends to come up a little bit more and, now. And mm-hmm. I think
0: that like the redeemed...
2: I think men openly harass each other more. Like right. There's yeah. more, more open aggression with men. And mm-hmm. with women, there's more internal maneuvering, which often takes the form of gossip. And I think
0: maybe like the redeemed version is, and not all women are like this, but I am, I like people and I'm interested in the details of their life and I like to talk about it. And it is, Mm -hmm. it is tempting for that to turn into gossip because it can easily, for the reasons and other reasons that Nick said of like, we are jealous or we have some resentment, but also we just like to Talk. talk about the details of our lives and other people's lives who we see. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it's easy for just a little bit of your insecurity to pop out when you don't right. mean it to when mm-hmm. doing that. And, and now all of a sudden you've now said something that's detracting from another person, mm-hmm. you know? So some, I, sometimes I think it's like, it's, it's vulgar, but innocent in a way. And then sometimes it is intentional. Nick, is
0: detraction in saying something negative, but true about somebody when they're not yeah, present? Correct. Okay.
2: Right. Right. You could do it when they were present, too. People just tend not sure. to.
1: But it, hold, it's, on, it's hold on. Hold it's,
2: on. It's, it's like the sin of the tongue when you just say stuff that doesn't need to be said. OK.
1: Well, if it's right. true, if it's true, that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be said, though, because like there's a. I mean, the question would be. Right,
2: otherwise, you would never speak any truth at all. I totally agree with that.
1: So when when is a good time to say things <sighs> that are true and then when is not a good time to say things that are true? Well,
2: yeah. I mean, that is a question of
1: prudence, right? Yeah. So, so I didn't do you want me I, to
2: take the last example where I was picking on you as an example of this. Well,
1: I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering how that wouldn't have been a good example. Cause I, it wasn't like, right, I was. so, a...
2: so if you want to, if like, let's say gossip among younger women who are single mm-hmm. is a problem. And let's say it's a problem at the church that I attend mm-hmm. for the purpose of this podcast, mm-hmm. right? The, the point, the, the most relevant point is women in that age group, may struggle with this and you've experienced that, you've seen it in, in action, you've seen it hurt people. Us talking about that in this context of teaching, it's really not necessary for you to call out anybody in particular, right? And so you, you don't have to, you can just say, Hey, I've experienced that, right? And so you did tell the truth. Now, mm-hmm. if your goal is to rebuke a certain group of women at a particular church publicly through this podcast, then probably that's inordinate or like, it's not the right place or time to do it, right? Right. So th- yeah. I would say, so it's, it's not that you can't tell the truth. You absolutely have to tell the truth. Candor is important. And to hold back is another sin of the tongue. To not tell the truth when it's therapeutic is wrong. And we mm-hmm. don't do anybody, anybody. That's why rebuking is in the Bible, right? Yeah, right. But rebukes are supposed to be within certain constrained contexts. You go to them individually first. You mm-hmm. bring just one other person. You keep it as private as possible because if somebody really receives it, then they, ex- they experience humiliation mm-hmm. and you want to narrow the scope of that humiliation as much as possible. Right. Because they've sinned against God. They should, they want to feel the gravity of it before God as you Mm -hmm. share it with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I saw a young woman gossip uh, and her name was, let's say, Sarah, I would go, Hey, Sarah, I've heard you say this. And we really can't be talking like that about our sisters in Christ and mm-hmm. so on. Right. And she'd be right. like, oh, crap, you're right. You know, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't say on this podcast, you know, we have a problem with gossip. I heard Sarah the other day right. say blah, blah, blah mm-hmm. about Janet. And I, you know, can you believe it? Now, let me make mm-hmm. a theological point about that. No, I just say, hey, I, you know, I, I was walking through the halls of my church and I heard this thing, this woman say something and I just, and I, it cut me to the heart because of how it would hurt this other person. Here's mm-hmm. what I think we really need to know about gossip or detraction or calumny or whatever the, the, mm-hmm. the sin of the tongue is. So um, but so if yeah. it's
1: a problem like it is, I mean, my, and we always not talk and about this It
2: says a beautiful woman, like a golden ring in the snout of a pig is a beautiful woman without discretion, right? That like the lack of knowing when to say what, how, and how much discretion,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right, can destroy, completely destroy the beauty of a beautiful woman. That's how powerful it is. Sure. Right. And of course it can destroy the ministry of a godly man.
1: Right. You know? So But you could I mean, but the, the question would rather be we don't have to go on about it, but the question would rather about be about this specific situation is did I I don't okay. I don't think that I necessarily sinned in saying that because I just said high point as a general church that has a 1, thousand fifteen hundred people Compared Mm -hmm. to being like this specific group of people like I do. I think it's a problem in young people across the board, but I, I don't, I mean, wouldn't that just be like, in your opinion, that would have been a sin because according to your discretion,
2: I think it would have been better discretion if you would have been specific about what you meant by high point. If you meant by high point, you know, it's a godly church where we preach the Bible and people are really serious about their faith. And yet, right. Yeah. Gossip still happens. That makes sense. Or if you meant Mm -hmm. dang it, you young women at high point, shut your mouths. Mm. Hmm. Right. If it was the first, right. Yeah, then right, I would say right. that, you know, yeah. I go to a really serious church where we yes. care about the Bible. We still find this. Right. Yeah. If you're pissed at the good women, you shouldn't say here,
1: you know, yeah, no, no, and it is the first. I obviously think High Point's fantastic, but they mm-hmm. have some problems, and I think that's one yeah. of them. Okay. Yeah, we were
2: talking about, uh, in our last podcast, we were talking about how, one of the cool things about this podcast is it's kind of like discipleship happening in real time. <laughs> right. So this is what it looks like when you're trying to disciple somebody in real time, when they say that, so you had to say the wrong thing. And I feel like you've, you've responded humbly and graciously, and I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, appreciate your correction, <laughs> Nick. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so Christina, I got to ask, now um, as we as we move as we move on from that, uh, what so I guess I think that this kind of gossip or this kind of like that can kind of create bitterness and it can create bitterness in anybody. But are what are mm-hmm. some of the ways that maybe you stayed away from gossip or slander or anything like that while you were struggling? Well, I mean, not struggling. I mean, when you were just single and you just maybe you're angry. And I mean, what are ways that we can stay away from sinning? Um, And being angry at others and being gossip and slanderous towards others.
0: Um, Yeah, I think one thing that comes to mind is to be cheerleaders for each other instead of um, letting jealousy take root. Um, And Mm -hmm. like when I think of the single women at High Point Church, and I actually don't know a ton. um, I'm I know more at City Church. I just, I love them. My heart is just filled to overflowing with love for them and compassion. And I think they're beautiful and they're trying and it's really hard. And I, I just have, um, and when I was single too, like I want the best for them. And so as much as you can feed into that in your heart instead, and remember that mm-hmm. like we are all we're on the same team we're not against each other mm-hmm. and even sure. even when other females are dating the people I had a crush on like that's hard yeah. but hey at least some girl somewhere is dating some godly guy and it's working out that's a win right
1: or maybe he's not godly and then <laughs> you got to see your friend you know try him out and now you don't even have to try you there don't have you to Data <laughs> I don't know. That's a more of a negative way to look at it. Yeah. And
2: I, I just want to be clear too that I think that, I think that the same thing could be true of the single men,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: That I think I, the, in the current generations coming through right now, that are in their, in their twenties and early thirties, yeah. there have been a lot of things that have debilitated us in the basics of conversation and relating. And it's a, it, people don't realize how much in like from fifth grade to say 11th grade or 12th grade, not having things like smartphones and yeah. video game consoles and stuff like that forced people to get in, in these like really oftentimes hurtful and even traumatizing social situations yeah. where they had to learn how to talk and relate and talk to a girl for the first time. And like, I mean, there's all these jokes in historical men cult- male culture here in America, but like, how do you hit on a girl? Meaning like, how do you talk to a girl and say, I've never spoken to you before, but you look pretty. I kind of would like to talk to you like mm. that. Like that, that's like an art form or like something you had to like stir up your courage for. And yeah. guys had to do that. And then we entered this era where like you could text a girl and just be like, hey, hey, girl, you know, instead of like literally going up and talking to somebody like I remember when we did one of these podcasts on dating a while back, Nicole was on it. And she's like, walk up to her speak to her in English sentences, use the word date. Like she like was like, it's like, talk to me. Like I'm stupid. You know, like she was like walking people through the, like the basics of just like, how would you ask girl? But like a lot of these guys, even if they got asked a girl on a date and even if she said yes, they are terrified. Like how am I, going to have to talk to her for two hours. What am I going to (laughs) say? Like, what are we going to do? You know? And so I I think some guys are also trying to like personally heal, get themselves together, sort themselves out. Um, but it's really hard to do that, and so some of them are saying, "Well, I'm just going to wait." Well, it doesn't do you much good to wait your whole 20s to decide you want to date somebody because you're sorting yourself out, right? Right. It shouldn't take that long. If it is, then something's wrong. You should need to get some some help from somebody, you know, like a mentor or a counselor or something. Mm-hmm. Well, and you don't you really don't need to wait till you got it all sorted out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You need to sort it out till you're adequately sorted out mm-hmm. to enter in a relationship with another person.
1: Well, and I wanted to ask because before we move on to other relationships um, that can be good to invest in, there is something that I've noticed more recently that I feel, I, I think it's probably pretty destructive in the singleness world is, um, and I've, I've only really seen it in women. Now it probably happens with men too, but that there will be a single woman and another woman will be like, and she'll be older and they'll be like, this woman is amazing. I have no idea why she's single. Like there's no Mm -hmm. reason she should be single. She's so amazing. And there's like this hyper affirmation on these, on some of these women who are older and single. And like, I, you know, I have to ask the question myself, like, well, there's, you're probably not, single for no reason like it doesn't feel very helpful like what's the balance of being honest with single people why they're not why they're still single because there's probably everybody's got problems and then also trying to be encouraging and be like but look you're doing a great job in these other ways because i don't think that the hyper affirmation is really helpful
2: okay i want to i I need to i need to say something about this and i normally i don't like inordinately pumping up women because i think our culture does it as a default and i think it's really stupid okay Hmm. But I think that over the last 25 or so years, there's been a lot of work in feminizing men. Yeah. And a lot of work has been done, thankfully, in empowering women. And so we have done everything we can to make women stronger and inordinately without really wanting to, we've done a ton of things to make men weaker. Yeah. And so what happens then is is that there is that normally most men would be strong enough as to attract women. And women would be would like for men to be strong, right? But what ends up happening is we, we begin to produce these like super capable, very strong women who look around and they and they, women, women want to marry people they believe are their equals or their superiors. They do not like to marry people who are their inferiors, right? That, 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 that that's how they feel. And so you mean some like
1: of, healthy women or women in general?
2: I think women, well, women in general. But I, th- I think it's a healthy desire. I mean, for women to look for somebody who they believe, especially for a Christian, yeah. if you're a Christian and a complementarian, and you believe that the husband is the head of the household, you certainly don't want to marry your inferior.
1: You think right? that's playing itself. You want out. to marry
2: somebody you really respect, because your biggest choice for the person you're going to submit to and treat as the head of your household is your choice. You've got to pick them. You don't want some idiot. No, I don't think who that you will you want joyfully it. submit to. I so don't- some of the single women that I that I would say that about that are fantastic and unmarried. Mm-hmm. I think they are strong. I think that they've become strong and I think that a lot of the men around them have been weakened. Become weak. Yeah. And so they really are kind of tougher than most of the men that they meet (laughs) and they don't want to submit to those men and they just would rather be single or they radiate a kind of toughness that is very intimidating to men who are not secure and there's not very many secure men in their twenties. And so these women go through their whole twenties and they're, t- they're kind of tough as nails, which would make gr- for a great wife if you're tough. But if you're not tough, she's going to eat you alive without even trying. She'll be trying to be nice to you, and you'll get so tied up in your own insecurities that you'll yeah. think she hates you, and you'll go into a death spiral, right? I can yeah. think of three or four women off the top of my head. One of them is like six feet tall, and she has like a PhD, and she's like super smart, and she's pretty, and she's tough, and she'd make a great wife. But like... To a really tough dude, who's smart and secure, and she just not found him. And
1: I I don't, Nick, I, uh, I don't. I don't agree with you on that. I, I think that the that the like the masculine woman is not attractive to men. I no, don't. This I, woman I'm particularly
2: thinking of my is not. I don't think she's yeah. that masculine. Oh no, I, I wasn't.
1: Feminine. I sorry, I wasn't specifically talking about her when I said that. I was talking about generally speaking. I yeah, I don't. I think a
2: lot of these women who are tough, are who are Christians, are intentionally embracing femininity, but are becoming like wussy pushovers for it.
1: No, I, I think you guys are. I, I think that the, uh, this is why I, I think that we're completely going to disagree, because I think I think the women of our of these upcoming generations are far more steeped in modern um, feminism than the church wants to accept, especially like I mean, oh no, I agree with that. But like, but that's that's like an. But I unhealthy... about the
2: men too. I think the men are yeah, steeped in yeah. a negative I, feminism that doesn't have a strong totally, doctrine of masculinity. Totally. There's no, totally. there's no masculinism. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there isn't a masculinism movement. I mean, just think no, about this. Right, there's yeah. a feminist feminism movement that is pervasive and like dissolved into all of modern human society that everybody has to have a master's degree in basically, yeah. and there's no masculinist movement right that's just like bits and pieces and stuff people are supposed to lick up off the ground mm-hmm. and we have no rights of manhood anymore we have no man yes, clubs right. anymore we I have agree. no man anything so like how are you supposed to be inculcated in masculinity it's just very difficult right
1: it feels like the women are there's it, a lack more than 40% of
2: 40 percent of young men are grown up without fathers and in right. some demographic groups it's much higher than that
1: yeah i'm just gonna say like from my perspective to to i guess counter is like it It feels to me and i've talked to other men and i know that you're right like there's totally a problem with men in the church we've talked about we had a whole two and a half hour podcast about that but it right. does feel like there's a big problem with women not having the humility to submit to a man because they think that like like when you see them and how they act and how they talk and how they carry themselves i've just seen it in the millennials and in gen z's because of what you're saying about women being built up and built up that like to be completely honest like that's not desirable to me it's not desirable to men and we can i mean we can go listen to the what does it mean to be a man podcast to hear how we you know. Just but I don't think I don't
2: think that's inhibiting the initiation of relationships, though, like the dynamic of like, like, if you're a woman and you're essentially egalitarian, in how you feel like you, you're not intending to submit to any man at all, right? Mm-hmm. That's not going to stop you from initiating a relationship. What it's going to do is create some problems once you're in it.
1: No, it's right? gonna. No, I think it's going to make you look for relationships in which you can control the other person. I, th- I think we I see that a lot. I don't think
2: women who don't want to submit to their husbands are looking from are, are as a group looking for men they can control. I think there is a subgroup of women who is afraid of masculinity. Yeah. Who is looking for a man they can control. But that's not all women who don't want to submit to husbands. But the Bible I mean, that, says I, that.
1: I mean, the Bible says that if, that in, in Genesis 3, a result of the fall is that the woman will desire to rule over her husband or, and he will rule over. Her. Like it's, it's a desire that women will have to, to. OK, to.
2: Right. But just as a man, you can pursue not to lord it over her. She can pursue not, not to be subversive in trying to steal authority and control you. Right. Like, and I don't Women think have the, the same women capacity for godliness as men, right? And yes. so you can have a Christian now, but there are going to be some Christian women whose view of gender roles is more discipled by feminism than by the Bible, by the scriptures and sure. by Christian faith, right? Yeah. But they're still going to enter into relationships with men.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then where you'll get issues if, is when they try to sort out gender roles. But most people don't, don't decide whether not to initiate a relationship on the basis of that.
1: I think and, that that's too simple I think it's too simplistic because I think people are looking through their pre-existing lenses and sure. women who are are already steeped in feminism are naturally without even thinking going to look for a weaker man so that they can have an easier time and an e- it'll be an easier um relationship in which they they can gain control because they're not it's they're like subconscious I don't think they're consciously going around I, doing it But these. I also
2: think that for a lot of those women they don't find themselves attracted to such men
1: to the weaker men?
2: Yeah, because yeah, I, th- yeah, I think yeah, masculinity no, it affects work. something in femininity, which right. is what causes attraction
1: but i think that the, i think that their desire for control is 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 bigger than their desire for to attraction until they get into the relationship. and yeah, so I mean, when but, they're looking they're prob they're looking for men they can control when they sure. get into it they realize it doesn't work.
2: sure but you also would concede that the reverse is also true that there are men that are looking for women they can control.
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: okay, well as long as we concede yeah. that it it's like this is a phenomenon of humanity yeah. that there are some women looking to control men and some men looking for women they control. I don't think that's controversial. But you would think, wish that it would be different. I think different. human being sin in the male-female relationship. That yeah. is from the curse of Genesis 3, absolutely. The but question I wish- is, can we in Christ unwind that and be redeemed and treat each other well?
1: Right. And that's the question I think. And I mean, you wish it would be different. Well, Christina, I think you have things to say about this. <laughs> Thanks, I'm going to let you talk. because I,
0: I just want to add that to Andy's point, I think, I think some women say no to a lot of guys. Because they know their temptation or like they are bent to control or to manipulate. And so if we date someone that we don't respect a lot, like that's going to rise up more. And we're trying not to do that. Like we want to find someone that um, like we feel comfortable submitting to and that it's maybe a little easier to curb that bent in the female
2: yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and because what
2: what that woman knows deep down if she's if she's wise at all is that um a if she can control the man the man will do less in their lives and she's going to find herself doing it by herself and no Mm. woman really wants that or two at some point that man's going to wake up and resent her like Mm. crazy and that's going to be the most dangerous situation you can possibly have for an affair for him abandoning her yeah and so she on some level she knows that like maybe you could control this man, but it's no good in the long run. Either Mm -hmm. he's going to be not a full partner because you're in control. He's going to let you do it or he's going to resent you and it's going to break the intimacy of your relationship later. Hmm. You know? But I also think it's important to recognize this. And I I was going to talk about this our last last episode, but we didn't talk about it much. there's a certain way in which both single women and women in general can do small acts of empowering masculinity. One of the things that women don't understand, I think, a lot is how interrelated a man's sense of masculinity is with a woman's participation in her femininity, Hmm. where like when a woman shows she wants a man to ask masculinely, act masculinely, and he feels a freedom from her to do it, he will then do it, Mm -hmm. right? Like in some ways, the man does it for her.
1: Can you give like some sort of example of – I know what you're talking about, but I'm trying to visualize it in my – like – Like, how can a woman show that, how can a woman show that she wants a man to act
0: masculine? Can I give an example?
1: What do you mean Um, by, yeah, 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 Christine. One
0: is like, ask for help, the female to ask the male for help and not be like, don't barter Mm -hmm. for it of like, okay, I'll do this. Will you do this? And then we'll be even just be like, I'm weak in this area. Could you please do it for me? And I don't necessarily mean physically, but it could Mm -hmm. be, but like, Please do, would you please help me out by doing this and let them be strong for you instead mm-hmm. of, I think it's very tempting to try to mm. be strong as women and be like, well, I can do X, Y, and Z and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to prove my strength. Yeah. Let the guy help.
1: Yeah, that's yeah.
2: good. Yeah. And, and also I think the bothering thing is big. Like, don't say I'll do this. Just be like, will you do this for me? Yes. I would really love it. And then when he does it, show appreciation you know cuz part of it is to say you have a place in my life you're important to me you do things i can't or don't want to do mm-hmm. like you, like your presence as a man is really valuable to me and i'm glad you're a man and not another woman like there there's a certain way in which you can so if like there are men in your church who are not acting as masculine as you want them to Cause like there are some men in your church, if you're a single woman that you're not attracted to right now, and it's actually not because they're not handsome enough. It's actually because they're not masculine enough. Hmm. And, and so it doesn't tap into the part of your femininity that evokes attraction because attraction is by nature sexual. Right. Hmm. And so empowering those men in their masculinity gets them there and you actually can help them do that. In some ways, only a man can teach another man how, how to be a man, hmm. but a woman can still empower a man right. To be masculine, does
1: mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, I feel like uh, empower is like an interesting. Word. Do you think like encourage would be a better way to explain that? Like,
2: not better for my purposes here. Yeah, no, sure. I really think I mean empower. Like, okay. for a, like people are like, well, men want these this power of women. Well, in a lot of ways, women invite men to be masculine. Sure, okay. and that invitation that, and then saying, I I invite you to do it. Mm-hmm. I like it when you do this. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing this. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. I mean, just like I try to like show appreciation regularly for when my wife does domestic tasks and to say like, yeah, I know you had to do this for the thousandth time, but thank you for doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And for our family. Mm-hmm. Similarly, like the the woman who like once a week tells her husband how much she loves how hard he works for their family. Is a woman of a ha- categorically happier husband than the woman who doesn't.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, okay, Christina. I know we've talked about um, we talked about gossip, and, and I want to talk about one more thing because this one—I think this is another thing that I've seen. Um, be a problem with women who are have been single for a long time is that they start to grow and like some serious bitterness. And we've talked a little bit about the bitterness, but bitterness seems to be like even more common than, than gossip. And it's not just in women, obviously in men too. I mean, there's, there's bitterness for everything, but bitterness is like a cancer. Um, And so how did you stay away from bitterness or How did you indulge in bitterness and how did you get out Um, of it? Yeah, I think
0: this is a huge, this is really important to talk about. Um, Okay. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think part of that sickness is bitterness and becoming jaded. Um, And you can hear about all these great things you should do as a single person. And hopefully we will get to some of them. Um, But Mm -hmm. when you do them, and, but what you still really want is to be married. There's still that opportunity for bitterness. I think the the biggest way I did not avoid this successfully. Um, in fact, it, it showed up a lot in my work. I became very bitter at work just because I was kind of unhealthy um, because of this sadness that kept growing in me. And I think... One thing you can do is to avoid the martyr complex of like, I am having a hard time, but I'm going to, I'm going to bear it. I'm just going to accept that this is my lot and bear it for the Lord as a good Christian. Um, And like, I'm going to be a martyr about it. This is a, this was really hard for me Um, because I am like, I really love Jesus and I really want to give him everything. And so I was ready I'm like, okay, Lord, whatever you have for me, I will do it. And like, that is beautiful. And I think the Lord is moved by that. Um, but when you bear those difficult seasons, there's a difference between like enduring it and kind of like embracing it, um, and, when you just endure it of like, this is my burden and this is what I will carry for Jesus, and you only die to Christ, you don't rise again in Christ and live. Um, And so it becomes, you can become resentful in Mm -hmm. it. And I mean, I like learned this last year, (laughs) Um, but you have to not only endure what you're um, living through, but you have to see it and call it good and actually know the goodness of it. And like, let the true goodness of the season be a thing to you. And it's not just you enduring badness. It's actually, there is good here and I see it and I'm naming it and I'm believing it and I'm not giving up on hope. Um, And I'm not just waiting for something else. I'm also living here. I still have a heart to get married and that still is a desire I have. But right now there is life. It is not later. And it's not just me dying to Christ day after day after day. It is me dying to Christ day after day after day and living in him day after day, day after day.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Appreciate it, Christina. That was good. I, I heard a little bit oh. of Tom Flaherty in there. From, that was really good. I thought that was great. I mean, Nick, did you have something to say? I it looked like you. No, no, I, I don't want to
2: add to something that should sit on our hearts. Yeah. That was so well spoken. Yeah, no, I think that's really good.
1: That was great, and I I want to um, ask in. in Christina, what? How did you recognize your bitterness? Because it's it's so easy to be bitter. It's difficult to recognize your bitterness. So, how did you recognize? Because we can be like, you know, die to Christ and live in Christ, but you got to figure out what what needs to die. And so, how did you? It was a really painful journey to recognize it.
0: Um, It involved it involved becoming very unhappy with my job. Um, It be I first recognized it in. I am angry at every student. Like, I just have so much anger. And I mean, a lot, you know, their behavior warrants some anger, but um, it was clearly a problem with me. Um, And I was, I was tired. I was weary. Um, And... When I unpacked it, uh, for me, it was anger. I, I, I do think other people, they might unpack it and find like shame or fear. Um, but when when other areas of your life are becoming affected, when you're miserable every day, that's a sign. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And okay, so you said your, bitter, your anger was kind of like, directed towards children but I think could it was it directed towards men at all and was there anything that men can do because I mean I feel like maybe this is a dynamic and if it's not um, then tell me it's not but that women who are single for a long periods of time become bitter towards men and that probably plays itself out in many different ways and how can men not because I could see myself like if a woman was just bitter and then she came up to me and she just had an attitude I could see myself like being like wow that she's being a whatever you know and so that's not the right attitude how can I how can men have an attitude of of grace I guess towards women who are, are what would have what would have helped I guess for from a, a male you yeah, know does that make any I, I sense I think
0: I mean I might have been uh, not in the majority with this, but I actually had a lot of compassion on men, especially single men, because I, I knew how hard it was. I knew they were trying. I, I I said no to several men and it's hard. It's hard for them. What they were doing was really noble and courageous. Um, and they're like suffering just like me. Uh, I think my bitterness and resentment, um, it, 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 maybe it was towards the situation. It would also flare up at like the institution or people who spoke poorly about single people or people who had um, a, an attitude about, well, they just need to get their act together. They're sinning in these ways or they're just not ready to be married. Um, yeah. I don't think I answered your question quite clearly, but
1: No. Well, you did a little bit, but you brought up even a better question because is, I believe, and you might not like this, that there are people who are not ready to be married. Um, And yes, but I have compassion on them and
0: like, I want to help them grow. And I think they're going to figure it out. And let's be a community that helps them, which you don't disagree with. I know Totally.
1: No, I don't disagree. I think that's fantastic. And I think part of helping people is telling them that they're not ready to be married. And I don't see that happen. And I I think it I think it would be very helpful for some of my friends and people that I know if somebody were to say to them, like, hey, dude, you're probably not ready to be married. You need to take some more time, um, and maybe that would have been helpful for me, man. I don't, but like, you know, because I think that, that this is what causes like super horrible dysfunctional marriages sometimes. Is maybe, that people
0: but I think go into
1: it and they're not ready. Even
0: if you're not ready to get married, um, being in, um, dating relationships or interacting with the opposite sex in healthy ways can help you get ready. And if you're not ready and you try dating and it doesn't work like then it, it didn't work. And so you are growing through it. And I mean, I don't think Mm. anybody's like ready, ready to get married. You're going to have issues before and after. Um, yeah, right. I think it's important to be in the will of God and know Mm. what your season is. And Mm -hmm are you just dating because you're trying to escape something Then don't date like you need to listen to what God is working on in you and take a break. Um, But Mm. if you have like peace about dating, even if someone might say you're not like ready to be married, you could probably learn on the, on the way.
1: Hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah. And I think it's also a question of just like, do you want to grow? Are you willing to face the truth? And if you are, you can grow while married, and or and you can grow while single. I don't think that there's a clear threshold where when somebody's yeah. cool, ready to be married, mm-hmm. right? You probably had some people tell you that you weren't ready when you were engaged in endeavoring to marry your wife.
1: Who are you? Oh, me? Yeah. Well, Christina's not married to a wife. Um, I don't. I mean, yeah. My my dad. I think we had a conversation, <laughs> and I don't know if it was necessary that we weren't like ready. I don't know, man, that was all weird. And you were in that conversation. I'm still trying to figure out what that was all about. Yeah. but I
2: mean, when I was, when I was engaged to Alexi, there were people that told us that we weren't ready to be married or that we wouldn't, we couldn't, you know, do it. We couldn't have a good marriage or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they were partially right. I mean, there were, there were things that Lexi and I brought into our marriage that if we had sorted out before we were married, it would have made things easier and better. Yeah, But at the same time, I didn't even know what those things literally were.
1: Yeah, cuz you weren't married. When we
2: were getting married. Yeah. I didn't I didn't figure them out till years later. So yeah, sure it'd be great if we had like this like counseling discipleship. Yeah. Wilderness camp or something that everybody could go to and get their stuff <laughs> figured out, but we
1: don't. I mean, we do have in some capacity, though. like we can go to counseling and get discipled even before getting married. I think that was like if like and I think that becomes one of my frustrations because I have friends getting married now that I don't agree with them getting married. And it's become this big, big thing, this big deal that like I'm being a jerk. But I think if you haven't spent. I mean, I don't know. There's got to be some sort of, th- there should be something that's yeah. like, okay, if you don't do like these things and if you don't know these things about each other, it's probably like, like a really bad idea to get married.
2: Yeah. So the, I think that there is not ready to be married in terms of like, you don't even, you don't even know each other at all. Right. There is also the issue of like, it's, it, it takes a very, very long time to really know somebody. I remember sure. I dated Lexi for like three and a half years, almost three year, maybe three years. And I was talking to this Christian leader, Right after we got married and he, I said, we're going to graduate school. He said, well, listen, get some C's and stay married because you're just getting to know each other. And I said, listen, we, we dated three years. He's like, he just looks at me and said, like I said, you're just getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, there's another sense in which like, no matter, I mean, no matter how long you date, if you restrain yourself sexually before you get married and you're driven to the altar by your desire for the other person, it's going to be, you're going to want to be with them before you know them because it's going to be less than 17 years. Mm
1: -hmm. Right? Yeah.
2: But like, so the the issue is not, are you, quote, ready for marriage? The the issue is, quote, are are you interested in becoming an adult? Hmm. The issue is not that we're not ready for marriage. The issue that we're not, quote, preparing for marriage. The issue is we're not preparing for adulthood.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Anybody who is a good adult um, is going to be ready for marriage.
1: Nick just had a fire alarm that he had to go to. And so I like, I always like mentioning why there's like little cuts sometimes just so people can feel like they're a part of the part of everything that's happening. So yeah, Nick had to go. And so we had to take like a five minute break, but we're back now. And I think I will just ask about the, di- like um, by, when you talk about being an adult and that, I mean, just meaning mm-hmm. being a godly person. Um, yeah. And so I suppose we could just move on to the next section, um, and I asked this earlier. We never got to it, so we have written down here that there's other relationships that we can invest into, and Good. there's there's your roommates, your friends, your family, and so. Um, I'll start with Christina. How hey,
2: b- before you jump into that, can I just want to do a plug? The, if you haven't read this yet and you're in your 20s or about to be in your 20s, uh, the book, The Defining Decade, Why mm-hmm. Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them by Meg Jay. She's a counselor from California. I don't think she's a Christian, mm-hmm. but she talks like in terms of research and human development, why your 20s are an incredibly decisive decade for your life mm-hmm. and they're not to screw around with. Sure. Like it's, it has a very constructive purpose and you need to use it for that purpose. And mm-hmm. if you haven't read that, it's a really good way to understand what your 20s are for developmentally and how to make sure that you're... You're using using it for what it's for.
0: And I would like to add the- um, Yeah, go ahead. Andy, you said, Nick said you need to be an adult in order to be ready to be married. Like, are you ready to be an adult? And Andy, you were like, and that means, Mm. are you being godly? And I just want to add one clarification that- I think you can be godly in that your heart is in the right spot towards God, but not be ready to be an adult because your your character isn't developed and you don't you're not pursuing character. Yeah. Um, so you might be godly, but you could still maybe grow in adulting. Yeah,
1: that's mm-hmm. a re- that's actually really good because I think some people will be like, "Well, I'm godly. Like, I love Jesus so much," and it's like, "Do you go
0: to bed on time? Also do you eat right? Don't do."
1: <laughs> Or just like, are you following any of the commands that God or Christ gave? Like, do you know what what it means to follow Jesus? And that's actually a really good point. Because I think that a lot of people equate, like, I really love Jesus and I really love God with I'm a godly person. And those are two different things. Like, I think that I, I I mean, yeah, whatever. I mean, we don't have to go super deep because I do want to talk about these other relationships and how important they are. So how... why are these obviously it seems kind of trivial like of course friends and family are important but i think that when we when human beings have a desire for something like marriage or a relationship with somebody else we can kind of when we get super zoned in on that we can kind of forget about all the other important relationships that we have in our life and but like you say, we can kind of make ourselves more like we can kind of just be like, Well, my life sucks because I'm not married. And it's like, Well, you have family and friends and people at church that love you too. So, how important are those relationships?
0: Am I going to start? Okay, Christina, you can
1: go. Um, I think, yeah,
0: I think they're very important. Um, I think just from personal experience, I felt like the Lord gave me so many opportunities to be a blessing to people who needed a blessing. And in return, I was hugely blessed. Um, um, because I was just available during this decade of my twenties, um, to do things like live with my sisters. I lived with each of them each through a difficult season of their life. It just happened that I was living with them at that time. Um, I got to live with my friends or with my parents for a while. And where, And there's a progression with your parents. Like you grow up their authority and guide and then there's disillusionment when you're like, wow, they have a lot of faults and then you become super judgy. But then if you can get past and through all that, you can be really great friends with them and have this honor and gratitude, um, toward them. And so my parents are like my best friends, some of my best friends, because I got to live with them in that way. Um, and You can live. I really recommend having roommates, um, if not just in the same apartment. If you really want to grow in character, share a room with them for an extended period of time. I had one roommate, like, shared a room for four years and then another one for two years. Um, And it's really hard.
1: And do it and do it while you're playing online survivor <laughs> right, right. during covid
0: <laughs> and they're on the other team yeah it, it gets complicated yeah um yeah. but it's a lot like- <laughs> of fun uh and you learn how to be judged and not judge back to um not be bothered and not be a bother um and it's and how to like have conflict unto growth and change because one of you is unhappy or both of you are unhappy. And um, I mean, if you have a roommate or live with someone and you're just burying everything, burying, burying, burying until you explode and you have to move out. I mean, yeah, maybe moving out is a good option, but what if instead of burying it, you talk about it and like grow together. Um, So having a roommate is great. Mm -hmm. And I think also I just prayed. I was like, Lord, make me available to care for widows and orphans. And I ended up getting to live with my grandma for the last year of her life because I was available. I was only, she needed someone to live with her and I was free and it blessed me because I got really cheap rent for a year and she just needed someone to be there. Um, And then Mm -hmm. I also, that same year, I had the opportunity to pick up two girls for school every day because otherwise they couldn't come to our school because we don't have bus systems. And they, I don't know where their parents were. They lived with their grandma. Um, but I built a relationship with them, giving them a ride every day. And then when their grandma died, um, we had that relationship, me and another teacher, to like love them in a really real way and see them placed with the lonely being placed in a family and they went to live in a different city with different people. And it was beautiful, but the Lord will answer your ask for opportunities to care for widows and orphans. And he will mm-hmm. present opportunities.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nick, do you have anything to say about that? No, I think it's great. Yeah. It's the first time in any of these podcasts that we've had a guest that will say something and I then Nick that. doesn't have anything to say. That's happened yeah. twice. I just find that
2: when you say something after somebody else just talked, it like takes away from what they just said yeah. people's attention. Sure. And so I'm just trying not to do that. I'm trying to grow Thanks, up myself. Nick.
0: But mm-hmm. there's been an adequate Good. pause. Cool. If you'd like to add something, you could.
2: <laughs> no, I, no, I think that's great. I think... I mean, the, I mean, the goal for every Christian is to live usefully to Jesus,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? And it, that can be being a mother and a wife or a husband and a father. And it can also be in a lot of other things. And if you read 1 Corinthians 7 carefully, which is where singleness is talked about the most in the New Testament, any one spot, the, the, the chapter isn't mainly about singleness. It's about all kinds of human relations. And it just says, embrace whatever relation you're in.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if you can change it and should, you can. Speaking about singleness and about marriage, he's like, you shouldn't change it.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: he's like, embrace the thing that you're in, because you can live fruitful of your God in that thing. And yeah. he actually uses slavery as an example of that. Mm-hmm. He's like, Look, if you could if you could buy your freedom, which you could do that in the Cracker Roman world, mm-hmm. do it. By all means, be free if you can. But even if you're enslaved, you can do good. And i I mean, I've read enough books by people who were thrown in the gulags. Mm. You know, and they're like in concentration camps in 20 below zero weather in northern Siberia. And they found the work of God for them to do there.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And I think you can do that anywhere. So I think you can do it in any stage of life, you know. And I think one
0: um, important thing as we talk about like living with other people, um, one, I I encourage you to do it. Two, if you... If you have been graced by God for a season to live by yourself and it's like a gift that he's given you and you're enjoying it, don't feel guilty about it. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, But, but sometimes challenge yourself to live with people, I think. And then just as a single person, I think it can be a little easier to avoid, um, uh, avoid, um, what is the word for making it all right again? The opposite of conflict, reconciliation. Um, it's easy to avoid <laughs> reconciliation if you want to, because you can just change your circumstance or move out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's dangerous. And I think as single people, we really need to fight to forgive people. And that if someone has something against us to do what we can to make it right. Um, and, and just some, mm-hmm. some, Hints that you might need to do this if you have. I found this in my life. If I was having a conversation with somebody in my head over and over and over, um, that's a sign I need to talk to them. It's probably me venting. It's probably me like shh, telling them why I'm right about something or like finally right. telling them what I think. Um, you either need to resolve it in your heart and stop having that conversation in your head or go to that person. And usually you can't resolve it unless you go to the person and humble yourself and say the hard truth. And maybe you were hurt and mm-hmm. acknowledge that. Um, mm-hmm. But fight for forgiveness and mm-hmm. reconciliation.
1: Let me, I'll add to the, I mean, not add to it, but just kind of, I mean, obviously when I was living in Madison, there were times where people would reach out to me, mostly people from crew. I think actually every single person was from crew and they'd ask if I'd get like coffee or lunch with them. And I didn't really know these people or or I knew that they didn't like me. And we would go get coffee and, and there was, I can't like probably like four or five times where somebody reached out and they're like, hey, like I hated you for two years or whatever. It seemed like it was happening quite often, um, but it, but they would reach out and they're like, hey, I wanted to like seek reconciliation And those were some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life. Those were like really conversations that I felt like God was, I just forcing me into forgiveness and to growth. And, and I, I, I agree. Like, I think that reconciliation while you're single, especially is so easy to just ignore and forget. I mean, when you're married and you're getting into a fight with your wife or your husband, you got to you're going to like sleep next to each other. So you just kind of want to figure that out. But if you're, if you're single, you don't have to see that person ever again. But that I think that the Bible specifically calls for us to seek out the reconciliation. And then the other thing that I think is, is, is that? I mean, well, we we're talking about being single and our, and enjoying our friends. I think that's an important thing. Is like is finding is enjoying your friends because I think it's funny that you're on this one, Christina, because John and I were really really close and we would hang out all the time and we had some of the most fun times ever. And then Christina came along and John was gone no, basically all the time. Uh, no, which no, which is not a problem. But I, I just was like, I, I I would think about that, and I'd be like, like you know, it's it's good to just actually try to cherish the the moments. Because yeah, when somebody gets married, their responsibility and their focus is put on something else, as it should be. It's not going to be put on their friends as much as it is on their wife or their husband. And just having good times with your friends and not spending those those times being bitter, angry that you're not married or whatever, you know, and trying to be, I think that's just a big old waste of time. And, and you, and you miss out on a lot of really good opportunities to experience Mm -hmm. the joy of friendship. Um, So Nick, did you, do you look like you might've had something to say at the beginning? Maybe not. Maybe I'm.
2: No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah. I I think that like, I think focusing on friendship, should be significantly higher in a single state of life. I think that that's really important. I think one, it provides companionship and care and love for other single people. I do think some of those relationships should be collegially, um, cross gender. Like, I think your closest friends that you spend one-on-one time with should be the same gender. If you're living with people, I think prudence dictates that they should be the same gender. But I I do think that you want to be in friend groups where you've got people of different genders, right? Um, And I think that's really important. But I also think Christina's on to something where like this is, it's a season where you can reconcile or grow in your relationship with your parents or your siblings, especially if you're considerably older than them. Younger siblings have a longing to be connected with you if you're an older sibling. And it's a, it's a huge opportunity to connect with them and empower their development as a person and to be there for them in the stresses of adolescence and and younger life. You know, Mm -hmm. so there, there there's so many relational opportunities when you're single and that is, of course, quite beyond like mentoring younger people, like volunteering in your youth ministry. And I know I sometimes young single people get angry when they hear me say that. But I mean, I did that when I was single. When I was single in college, um, I taught fourth grade and second grade Sunday school. I, I volunteered in the youth group because I just knew the 16 year olds would look up to me because I was 20. Mm-hmm. And I had the time to do it, even though I had all these other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and I learned about families and I learned about kids before I got married, which was helpful. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think all that stuff is really good. What Christina was saying.
1: Yeah. And then, um, so there's a couple of other things um, that we have written down, which we kind of just went over a little bit, but I think there's something to be said even more on these topics is, is to be fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers to your neighbors and even enemies. I th- Christina wrote that down.
0: No, I think, I think that, right. That.
1: Christina, you wrote that down. Nick wrote that down. Somebody wrote that down. And I think that's a very good point. And so for how can we, how can women be, um, be mothers and sisters to our neighbors, to the people in the church, to the people around us, and even our, our enemies and what does that even look like? I mean, even even being married, we're where we have to do that. But while you're single, how can you do that? And what's a, what's a good way of? Um, of I
0: doing think that? one thing, one thing to do, and I learned this from a devotional from High Point, maybe that Jill wrote, and maybe it was Nick, I don't know, but um, <laughs> the word enemies. We're like we don't have any enemies, but then ask yourself. Well, if you were to have an enemy, who would it be? And a name will come to mind um, most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so just recognizing that. And I think roommates especially have uh, a really good chance of becoming an enemy at a certain time because you're so close and, I, and you become an enemy to them too at some point. Um, and this can be family or friends. Mm-hmm. And so be, instead of being an enemy, love them and lay your life down for them. Mm -hmm. And not just in this, I'm resigning to do this. And I'm dying to myself also live to Christ in Christ while you're doing it. And I, I really tried to take it upon myself to have like the ministry of enjoying people and enjoy the people you're around and, um, lead people, gather people, other, other single people are probably lonely too. Um, So host a party and invite them, sit with them at church. Not only will you have a safe place to land, but they'll have a safe place to land. Um, it's hard to do events by yourself as a single person. It's hard to do holidays by yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things. So be the one to initiate doing it together and making like a safe space for other people.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're answering these questions really good. Um, so we'll just keep moving through them because I think there's a lot of really good things in here. Um, I saw here it says, Pray Bigger Prayers, and that sounds like something Joel Osteen would say, but I... (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of it. Uh, just what yeah, do you mean by um, pray bigger so prayers? it's under
0: the subpoint of things you can do when you're single. Um, Nick wrote, consider vocations or opportunities that involve higher levels of risk since you don't have the same responsibilities as are found in families. Um, and so for yeah. me, this, I was like, people aren't depending on me. Um, so I can risk a little bit more. I can, pray bigger prayers, like prayers, like Lord, I will give my life for you. Like send me anywhere in the world. Um, if you want me to leave college and just abandon that whole thing and do something else, I'm available to, um, bigger prayers, like humble me and like embrace humiliation of, wow, that was really embarrassing. Or like the Lord really can work on your pride. And these are painful things or there might be risk involved of, especially for me, I was I was determined to learn how to like live by faith. I'm probably because of my charismatic background. I think it's also good to live with wisdom. Um, But I wanted to give really generously and build up a testimony of like how God has provided in my life. Um, And I had heard this testimony of someone who he got married and they're like, okay, honey, let's give all our savings away. And it was like $5,000 and see what God does. And so they did it and, you know, they have this testimony of God then provided all these things. And I was like, I love that. Um, but I wasn't married. So how could I do it? So I, I started saving up money so that when I got married, I could give a huge chunk of money away as like a first fruit offering of like, Lord, here it is. Uh, let us see what you do. But then I saved that amount of money. I gave it away or I saved that amount of money. I didn't get married. And I was like, well, the plan was for me to do that. And I was just like, you know what? I'll do it now. And I gave it away. And the Lord doing that repeatedly, like give, always giving a little bit more than feels comfortable and just practicing not having control um, or like having open hands. I shouldn't say not having control because I don't mean to be non-discretionary but having open hands with your finances and I think I've been given every car I've had rent has always been really cheap for me god provides for me all the time john is like i made money marrying you because of how much people give you and and i mean the end of the story is i think we're even getting a house like someone is even giving us that and it it is very fun and freeing to Give generously, but you can't always do that when you're married and have kids or at least to like start building that muscle. It's harder to start when people are dependent on you, easier to start building that muscle when it's just you.
1: And I think it's important to also say, because I mean. I, I I think everything you're saying is fantastic, but I think some people just automatically go to like, oh, so she's saying that if you give money, God will give you a prosperity gospel right. stuff. So that's not what you're saying at all. Not at all. What, what, and yeah, that's not yeah. what you're saying at all. Like it, whether you give and you receive things back in this life or the next. Like where God, he, I mean, Jesus said somewhere, somewhere in the Bible that he's right. going to give Let, back. I'll
0: add some some clarity to, of, to those who give of. Yeah. I mean, I, sure. I gave some amount of money and then it was my living situation. I I lived in somebody else's space for over a decade and I never had like my own space yeah. until last year when John and I right. had an apartment and then we moved into a basement and I, it's a great basement and yeah, some people it. have it much worse, but yeah. you know, we had our first child while living in someone else's basement. And that was hard. And so I'm not saying prosperity yeah. gospel, who knows how the Lord will answer, but what it was for me was exercising in my heart, joy and giving and freedom to really trust God to, to provide, um, and to worship him even when my circumstances weren't great. hmm
1: okay and there's one I think there's one last thing that we should talk about that I just saw that was written on here that I think was really it's in Cr- Christina's top tips um, this is the Christina's top tips uh, section of the podcast a um, series <laughs> yeah Christina's top tips of the week uh, you have written down there and I think this is something that's really helpful for me is lament and it's very interesting because it's like how is that gonna help me and I think because I was in the mindset for a long time that like lamenting or like crying or like realizing the disappointments and realizing your pain and all that stuff. That's like for weak people and like that's for like weak millennials who don't want to be married. Right. Well, then Nicole was kind of just like, Andy, you need to like start like like think lamenting and crying about things because you haven't done that about anything that's ever happened to you in your life. And you've been all hard about everything. And so I'm like, all right, whatever. And we watched a movie called uh, inside out about all the little emotions. And, and, and I was like, that's a good movie. And Nicole thought it was a great movie to watch for people who struggle, which if you struggle with emotions, you should watch it. Cause it's really fun. But the question is, how do you lament? Cause I had a really hard time figuring out how, how to deal how to deal with my emotions. How to how do I lament and like recognize and then feel recognize the pain and then feel the pain. Those are two different things. Cause you can recognize pain, but a lot of times we're just completely shut off the feeling. And I'm still trying to work on how to feel my pain and things that I lament. So how do you recognize things and feel them? And that's probably not an easy thing to answer but you can try this is Christina's tips (laughs) top tips of the week so Um,
0: I mean Nick you can go first if you want
1: (laughs) that's good
2: I mean it's taken me a long time to even get going on like lamenting and feeling that kind of stuff personally I I, I mean I guess my biggest advice for people is that the most of those uh, persevering people in the Bible we're men of tears. Hmm. So Jeremiah as a prophet, David as a king, Jesus as the Savior. Um, the Apostle Paul is very clear. I mean, the Apostle Paul kind of presents himself as pretty tough as nails, and yet, I mean, he talks about in Second Corinthians about being lost in the province of Asia and imprisoned there, and despairing of death, and like feeling like they were going to die until his friend Titus came and helped them, and then he felt. Like they were being, even though they were dying in the body, they were being renewed inwardly day by day. But so people will quote that verse, you know, the, you know it says in the Bible that like you were struck down, but not destroyed. Like we feel the sentence of death in our body, but we're like renewed by Jesus. Right. That, and that's a really good passage and it's true. And you can experience that. But don't forget to read four chapters before that or five chapters before that in chapter one, where Paul says that he experienced the sentence of death in his own body and heart mm-hmm. and despaired of life itself you know? Mm -hmm. And so all these like incredibly powerful people in scripture were people of tears. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's why, like why Tolkien made sure to put tears in Aragorn, like the great King, the great, this great, great, great warrior, new poetry Mm -hmm. recited to himself and wept Mm -hmm. that there's no, that, that like being able to see beauty and weeping is part of strength Mm -hmm that is ferocious, but not brutal.
1: And I think, I think something that would, 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 I mean, struck me while trying to figure out this whole, like crying and, and dealing with my emotions thing was like, and I don't know if this is the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's gotta be one of them. And it's very confusing. Just Jesus wept that, that was always so confusing to me. Like, yeah. why the heck did Jesus wa- – what does that even mean? What was he crying about? He's perfect and all these questions. But I think I think you're right, like the, that there's something to crying and feeling those emotions. And it's very weird. I mean, for somebody like me, it's very weird because I, I don't want to feel that stuff, but it's extremely necessary. And if I don't feel them, I found that I'll just become – so angry about everything all the time um, because I cover my, my sadness with anger. And so I guess, Christina, do you want to try to answer that too? What what are some ways that you've um, been able to Um, lament about things?
0: First off, I just agree. It's, I think it's important to lament. And for me it was important so that I didn't get bitter. Um, I think our hearts, when our hearts are hurting, the temptation is to build walls around it to protect it, but then it gets harder and harder and dies, um, heart of stone. And so you have to work to keep it alive and lament is one way to do that. Um, and I mean, it is vulnerable to keep your heart, not, hard means it's soft and can be hurt more. Um, but it's important to have an alive Mm -hmm. heart. Um, I think the Psalms are a great place to go. The lament, there's many lament Psalms. They kind of have a structure of like recognizing the kingship and glory of God, maybe asking a question, really writing out honestly, what you're upset about and how you feel about it, um, and then like coming back around of like, but I praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord even in mm-hmm. even in these negative emotions. Um, so being really honest about your disappointments, I think, is important. Um, being genuine, being sincere, not letting sarcasm creep in every time you talk about your singleness, or like using sarcasm to lessen the brunt of the pain you feel. Um, And then an image that has always been helpful for me is Jesus weeping, Jesus just sitting with Mary and Martha and their brother is dead. And there is a season when Lazarus is dead and he has not risen again. And it's hard. It's really hard. But Jesus is sitting with you in, in that season weeping with you. And it's really important to find, um, connection with Jesus in the lament and then look to him for the resurrection whenever it comes in this life or the next.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, I feel like we, I mean, we should probably wrap this up cause it's been probably an hour 30 or I don't know, hour 40, but, um, Do you guys have any concluding thoughts? I think this is really good because uh, there are definitely dangers to like singleness in the sense uh, in our mindset. Like there could be dangers and that can lead us to sin. But there's, I think we've covered a lot of the really cool, beautiful things that can come out of being single and some of the freedoms that you have. So, um, it's it's like a double edged sword. I mean, and so what do you guys? I mean, is there any final thoughts that you have about this whole? Um women in singleness, um, and trying to live out their their biblical femininity. I think that's femininity, right? That's how you say it.
2: Yeah, in prolonged singleness or involuntary singleness, you mean right? yeah, I mean, i th- I think that I think it's so I think it's important for people to recognize that um, embracing something that could change is hard especially embracing like a situation of life that you actually kind of want to change, but that doesn't appear to be changing is tough. One of the, one of the things I, one of the ways I experienced something similar is like when, when I was at a church and I was, I was time for me to move to other churches and I would go through this process of searching and like, I would look at a church and then it would want to, it wouldn't want me to be their pastor, you know, and you, you go through all this emotional energy of imagining your life in another place and what it would look like. And it's exhausting and it like takes your mind off of, that's one of the reasons why when churches find out pastors are looking for another job, they often fire them. They're like, no, way, I can work. I can work here till I do that. And they're like, no, you can't mm. because it's really hard to do that. Right. And if your heart is divided between two things, mm. You like it's you're just not living your real life while you're waiting for the next one, right? And escaping that and figuring out how to live in your real life right now while recognizing it might change and you might even want it to change is an enormous part of what it means to live fruitfully for God in in this kind of a calling of singleness
0: and it and it's yeah. just really Christine. hard, and we have compassion for you and um let the body of Christ help you. And I think just the final thing I'll add is if you are unhappy with your life, um, pursue change. And if you're not finding somebody to marry and you're just kind of feel like you're withering away, um, I I've, I've felt that. And I just think it's important to do something drastic. And I don't mean like drastic of like, just date anyone and get married to anyone, but find something else to be passionate about. Uh, both my older sister and I kind of went through this. She was she was like, okay, I'm not finding anyone. So she like started taking classes and getting ready to be a missionary to the Middle East. And she was ready to go. And, um, then, then in fine, like she had a vision and she was, um, had something that helped her come alive. And she just happened to meet Josh at that time and they got married and then she didn't go to the Middle East and they're in Mexico doing other missions work. But, um, I was, I felt so withered. Um, I also, I was like, I have to have a change. And so I took a, I took a break from my job. I was just going to travel for a semester. Um, I was ready. I was looking for ways to go minister in Haiti because I knew people there. And I was like, you've got to do something to help your heart stay alive and who knows when the Lord will bring you into something, but don't feel like you just have to stay and stay and stay and wither and wither and wither, um, connect with people and come alive. And we want to help you and I want to help you. And I would love to pray with you or, um, just talk with you because I think it's very hard. It can be very hard.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's really good advice. I think there's a lot of single folks that like they kind of get in a rut and they're just kind of like, oh, I wish things would change. And they need the advice for somebody to say, then change things. If you want things to change and change, like get a different job, right. move to a different city, do a different thing, try something you always want to try, go out, like go on a vacation with a friend, like just do something because
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's really easy to get, especially if you're not a naturally adventurous right. person. You're kind of like, well, I don't really want to. And you're kind of like, well, you all the more need to because otherwise you'll be in this path and this path will become right. a rut.
0: And that stability and could be a tough. great thing in marriage mm-hmm. and I know like we want that but it's not happening right. now and so do something do something else. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Christina, I'm going to say this and you're not going to like it, but she's writing <laughs> I she's hope writing too. something I'm try to. on singleness and being a woman and all these things. And it will hopefully release with this podcast on OptiveNetwork.com. And because there's a lot of good things that were written in this document that we didn't even get through, which I know Nick wrote a lot of that stuff too, but there was good things. um, And there's so much to talk about in this, in the, in this conversation. And so we can't all be done in a hour and a half podcast, but be on the lookout for that because Christina is going to, she's going to write some really good stuff. (laughs) Thanks, I promise. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there you go. So now you have to, uh, okay. So, I mean, besides that, it looks like we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, Christina, thanks for doing this. I thought there were some other ideas that were thrown out of people who could come on this podcast, but I was like, I only trust Christina. Oh. And now I know why. <laughs> I think you could um, trust others, but... You did um, a really could good I, job.
0: Could I pray? <laughs> okay.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord,
0: we thank you um, that you are with us in all seasons of life. Um, we thank you for how you created man and woman and that it was not good for us to be alone. And so you gave Adam uh, Eve and... Lord, I pray for my single brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly for those who wish that they weren't single, who are waiting to be married to find someone. And Lord, I pray for grace, grace on their hearts. I pray that your spirit would breathe fresh hope into their hearts, that they would hope um, in ways that they haven't dared to hope in a while because they've been so disappointed and... Um, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen them, encourage them. I pray that we would be a good community, um, that supports single people who loves them. And Lord, I pray the fruit of their lives would be much even before they're married, um, in their service, in their love, um, in their rest, in their play, um, in their love for Jesus. Lord, would you be glorified in them? Would they feel your delight in them and, um, bring them someone to marry in Jesus name. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, thanks Christina. Um, and thank you, Nick. And, um, thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this, make sure you like subscribe, follow, give us a five star, share this with your friends. Nick, you look like you were going to say something smart.
2: I was going to say, and thank you, Andy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no problem. All right. We'll see you all in the next one. Goodbye.